This Kendra is where they make their mark. This is the time where you've got to turn the table. You've got to take advantage and ride this wave in this momentum. Look out! Welcome to our match preview podcast. Callum Williams, as always, alongside Kindred D. St. Auburn. Lots to talk about covering Minnesota United and the world of Major League Soccer over the course of the next 45 minutes or so. So, let's not miss around, shall we, Kendra? A very convincing victory for Minnesota United over the weekend, and it was exactly what they needed over Real Salt Lake. It was. It, and it wasn't just the fact that they got the win. It was the fact that they scored four goals, the fact that they got contributions from a lot of different players and that they were clicking in the attacking third of the field. I think that's really important because that was an area that they had been struggling in lately. The creativity, the possession, how do they combine? How do they find those pockets of space and find the opportunities to, to put those chances away? And you know what? I think when you have some success offensively, it helps your defense. They picked it up. They get the shutout. Dane St. Clair in his first MLS start. So many positives from this match. And, you know, it was a lot of fun to see. The energy, you know, was palpable, um, even though we were lacking fans in the stadium. And we'll see if they can carry it through to Wednesday because a quick turnaround. And it's a case for everybody right now. So it's just crazy times. It really was a complete performance from Minnesota United across the entirety of the field when you look at individual performances as well. Let's start in goal, shall we? Dane St. Clair, you mentioned briefly, making his Major League Soccer debut. Um, Questionable if he should have kept a clean sheet or not, but nevertheless, the statistics will stay from a historical point of view that he did on his debut. Yeah, the goalkeeping gods smiling in his favor, I think, with that decision um, that it was not a goal. And I mean, we say not a goal called back because it wasn't a goal in the first place. But, um, you know, I had someone message me like, cool as a cucumber, Dane's heart rate didn't get above 60 when, you know, he he blocked that shot and it looked like the ball was going over the line. His former goalkeeping coach, if you can maybe guess who that was. But um, I think that it is his demeanor, even though he could have gotten totally flustered by that fact. You know, I mean, he, he knocks down the first shot. It looks like it's going over the line. They don't whistle it a goal, play on. And um, I think he did get better as the game went on. And we could hear him, at least I could hear him in my headset during the match, really directing traffic and being assertive um, in his area to who needs to be marking where, who needs to be on what post, watch your right shoulder, watch your left shoulder. And I just, I, I really appreciate it. And hearing that communication from such a young goalkeeper and the fact that he spent so much time with this club last year as well in his rookie season, I think that helps because there's a familiarity there with the guys and a confidence, I think, that goes both ways. Dane with his back line and the back line with Dane. Interesting as well, Kendra. I think it's, it's a little harsh on Gregory Ranjit Singh at the moment um, because I don't think there were any saves that he wouldn't have been able to make in that particular 90-minute spell. But I wonder, you and I had, had spoken to various different people um, across the, the sporting side of the club over the last few days before that game, and everybody had said how confident Dane St. Clair was. And that was one of the main reasons why he was brought in because he brings confidence to a backline that was a little shaken after conceding so many goals. Yeah, and you know what? I, I really don't want to take anything away from Greg Ranjetsing because I don't think that he got pulled or he got replaced by Dane because of something that he was doing wrong. I mean, Adrian himself said there weren't many of the goals that were conceded while he was in net that were his fault, that were his issue, that it was just a, a failure on all parts, you know, from a defensive perspective and not just the four in front of him, but from a team defense perspective as a whole. So, um, yes, nothing against Greg, but I do think there is a confidence level that comes from Dane and also that they have in Dane because of the familiarity, the time he has spent with this club now over the last two years. He was on loan with San Antonio, but last season he was here nearly every minute of every training session, except for the the rare trip to Madison to play. Um, so I think there's a confidence that just, you know, comes from Dane. Um, there's a familiarity. And then also, like, let's be honest. I mean, he's a young goalkeeper that was drafted um, out of Maryland. And I think that they wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if they view him as a future starting goalkeeper for this club. And then, of course, you have Fred Emmings, you know, coming up behind um, who's still got a ways to go in high school. But um, I think that they view him as the future of this club at some point, Dane St. Clair being a young goalkeeper and kind of grooming him to to take that spot eventually. 
Yeah, I think his opportunity perhaps came a little sooner than would have been ideal for this football club. Obviously, Tyler Miller's injury is the reason perhaps why he's getting this opportunity. Um, is it something we expect to see regularly moving forward in 2020? Dane St. Clair starting, that is. Oh, yeah, I would assume so. I mean, I, I mean, I, no, look, there was a media call last week where people were mentioning a former goalkeeper, a 2019 goalkeeper of the year in Vito Minone and how he's out of contract and available. And will there be a phone call made either direction? And Adrian Heath, he didn't dance around it, but he was like, look, it's not like that name hasn't been mentioned. Um, you know, he was the 2019 goalkeeper of the year, but I think they're pleased with what they have available right now. And again, you know, Dane St. Clair is quite possibly, you know, the future goalkeeper of this club. And we'll see how he continues to perform. It's one match. It's one game. Uh, Minnesota, you know, came out victorious for nothing. Sometimes, you know, when you know what starts to hit the fan, then maybe opinions change. The transfer window is still going on. So we'll see what happens. But I think for now, we would we would expect to see Dane St. Clair in between the pipes. Before we move on and, and talk more about that Rail Salt Lake game, let me just put some, some water on the fire here. Um, to my knowledge, after speaking to somebody within the footballing world yesterday, um, there has been zero contact between Minnesota United and Vito Minone. Uh, to my knowledge, Minone is in discussions with a team in Turkey. I believe that's already been reported by several different outlets. However, it is 2020, so who <laughs> <laughs> um, so let, Let's continue talking about what was a marvellous evening for Minnesota United, shall we? Let's start on the back line, who looked a lot more settled than what they have done in previous weeks. Why, why was that, Kendra? Well, I think that, first of all, for some reason, Chase Gasper and Roma Mettenere looked more like we expect them to look. Even though it was, again, a short turnaround of games, a lot of matches and a lot of days, um, I think you're not contending with the heat that they did in back-to-back games in Dallas and Houston. But I do think that there is something to be said about the possession in the midfield. And the more you can keep the ball and you can go forward and you can maintain possession to start the attack, you're relieving your defense a little bit. You're relieving some of the pressure that, your defense is put under from the midfield or from the attacking pieces from the opposition. And to be fair, I mean, Real Salt Lake had a two forward as two striker system, which they hadn't had in quite some time and, and two very viable strikers in Martinez and Sam Johnson. So um, it wasn't like they didn't have any offensive threats. Now they were missing. They did not start a lot of their key pieces that we're used to seeing right from the get go and a Demir Krylock and an Albert Rushnak and a Corey Baird. Um, so, you know, I mean, that probably um, helped early on to kind of settle the storm, weather the storm. We all saw like had a couple chances. But after that, the offense started clicking. And, you know, I've said it a, a few times now, offense picking up defense, defense picking up offense. I think it's very important, the positioning, playing against their diamond in the midfield, how they utilize the wing space with Roma Metzenier and Chase Gasper. And I, I just think, you know, we have to be, cognizant of the pressure that was put on by the attacking pieces that started the defense up the field. Mason Toy, Reynoso, we saw his willingness to defend. Kevin Molino tucking in, Robin Lud chasing balls back. The the team defensive effort, I think, was was present and the willingness to work for each other right from the first whistle. You mentioned him, Emmanuel Reynoso. He was our Bellbank man of the match. Um, and I think deservingly so as well, Kendra. And I guess broadcaster Tyler Miller was very quick to praise him as well. He even called a certain stage of the game, uh, identified it as the Reynoso effect, which I think is fair as well. He was so good off the ball, dragging people out of position. And we got a little glimpse, perhaps, of what we are set to be treated to for the rest of 2020, at the very least, with that three, uh, that set of three players behind the centre forwards. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things that people can get really excited about. And, you know, I didn't explore Twitter much or some of the different social media aspects after the match to see what people were saying about him and about the play of the front three or four in particular. Um, but I would think it would be all good things. And you just have to wonder, too, if, if uh, when, when Luis Amaria returns um, to the lineup, how can they combine? You know, I think they're going to have very similar styles in the sense that they can appreciate and pick out the pockets of space to run and support each other. And I think sometimes in the attacking third of the field, that's half the battle, is finding the right pockets of space to be in to support your teammate, to make the attack go and to make them better. And Reynoso so good at that. There are several times he's making a run and he may not even get the ball, but he's drawing a defender out 
or maybe he's putting himself in a position. I know I mentioned this, maybe it was in the post game show, almost where it's just, he's like, you're passing off of a wall. Like when you're training by yourself and he's, he's basically positioning himself with his back to goal and just using himself as a give and go opportunity as the ball continues to move up the field. He did it with Hassani Dotson. He did it with Kevin Molino. I think with Robin Lud a couple times, it's just this ability to find those pockets of space, make himself available, put his body in the right position and kind of float in and out and create. And I think um, that final ball, we saw it a few times as well. And I'm sure it will continue to happen. Mason Toy had some good runs, you know, as, as the game went on to kind of learn how to play with Reynoso. Um, this is going to be a lot of fun. If everyone can stay healthy, everyone can stay on the pitch. We saw what Robin could do. We saw what Kevin can do. And good players like to play with good players. That makes the game a lot of fun. And I'm sure that's how everybody feels with Reynoso on the pitch. Yeah, unfortunately, we're aware that Ethan Finlay has a bit of an injury as well. We're not entirely sure on the extent of that. Uh, well, perhaps we'll get to that a little later on. And I'll save a question about Robin Lurd for you, um, because I know our producer Morgan Lubin, who's going to be joining us shortly on the podcast, has several. Let me ask you about Kevin Molino, who looked very much like his old self. Not been short of critics this season either. Did he perhaps prove a point on Sunday evening? Look, for me, with any player, and not just a Kevin Molino, first of all, we know with Kevin, it's not that he's ever lacking ability. It's the ability for me to stay healthy. How can he stay healthy? And I think when he's at 100% and when he's playing with players around him that have the same ideas, the same concepts of playing off of each other, he absolutely looked fantastic in that game. I mean, that that replay of that heel pass that led to the goal uh, for Chase Gasper, it can just can probably be a new gif. It can just keep playing on a highlight reel because that was fun to see. And it was just a cheeky little move that we come to expect from Kevin Molino. We see it in training and it's fun to see it in a game. But to me, it's about if he can stay healthy, can he stay fit? Can he stay healthy? And can he produce on a consistent basis? The greats in the game in any sport produce consistently it can't be a one-off this can't be one game where minnesota united gets four goals and they get that kind of a performance from kev or that kind of performance from robin it has to be done consistently so to me i know he's been with the club now for a few years and you know since the inception of going into mls but consistently stay healthy consistently be available and consistently perform at that level because that is what is expected of him and i think he expects it of himself as well Got to say as well, the little flick around McMath into Raheem Edwards that played it into Ja'Cory Hayes for his first regular season goal was something to behold. But it's interesting because I've had a few people say, you know, why, why didn't you marvel at what he did? And I said, well, it's not exactly like we didn't. More than anything, I was just questioning what on earth Zach McMath was doing in that particular situation. It wasn't his finest moment from a goalkeeping perspective. Let's leave it there, shall we? Okay, one more before we move on, Kendra. Um, it was the first ever goal for Chase Gasper, who we've identified as a workhorse. Everybody can see it on the field, what he brings and what he offers. But how important were the fullbacks in this particular game for Minnesota United, given the narrow-minded nature of RSL and their diamond in midfield? Well, and that's what's interesting. I was talking with Brian Dunseth, the analyst for Real Salt Lake before the match, and he was just saying, you know, it'll be interesting to see what formation Real Salt Lake goes with. And Freddy Juarez likes to switch things up. He's not afraid to change up lineups, not a change, afraid to change up formations. And he was like, I, you know, I wonder if he'll go with Diamond in midfield, knowing that Minnesota United can use their fullbacks and have such power and strength in the width in their fullbacks and like to get up the field and play the ball in and serve it in and combine. And sure enough, Freddy Juarez still did that. And he did the diamond in the midfield and Minnesota took advantage of it. And again, you know, I, I just need to give some credit to Chase and to Roma because they had been kind of taking a beating the last few games. They haven't had their best performances against Dallas and Houston. Now, to be fair, nobody really did, but those two in particular, but it was interesting what Adrian said to us last week. He said, people have just become come to expect such a high standard from those two players and Roman in particular, that when he's a little bit off one game or gets beat in some way, shape or form defensively, people are thrown off by that because the expectation is so high. But I, what I liked about the width that was used and created by Chase and Roman in this game was oftentimes we see them get the ball out wide and they're just serving it in. It's just constant crosses in the box. And we don't really have the height maybe necessarily to get on the end of it. 
This was using the width of the field and then combining with players and getting to the end line. I think, what did we have, one or two corner kicks this match? I mean, it, was, it wasn't a whole lot compared to what we normally see when they're getting to the end line and just serving it and pinging those balls in. It was using the width, but then combining and finding ways to play make up the pitch in that final third of the field rather than just wafting a ball inside the box. So it was using the width, but kind of in a different way. And that had to be because the players centrally were making themselves available. Someone like an Emmanuel Vernoso, someone like a Robin Lode, Kevin Molino, putting themselves in a position to combine with Chase and Roman on the wings. But yes, I mean, how, how awesome for Chase Gasper. He is beloved by his teammates. He always has a smile on his face. He's an absolute workhorse up and down the pitch, always willing to make the run. The fact that he was willing to make that run all the way up that field at that point in the game, not knowing if he's going to get the ball in the box. Um, I think that tells you really everything you need to know because that ball could have just as quickly gone the way other way. And he's sprinting you know, another 120 yards back the other direction. So it was it was a true team effort, and it was fun to watch. Yeah, he couldn't have smiled any wider, could he, after the game? It was fabulous to see. Right then, um, no guests during this particular podcast, so we thought we'd welcome in somebody who you may very well have heard us talk about before. He is uh, the man in our ears, the man in our hearts, expert button presser, an all-round good guy, and the king of broadcasting at Minnesota United. Welcome into the podcast, our producer, Morgan Lupin. Hey, thanks, guys. Uh, so for my producer takeover today, I have five of the hardest-hitting questions uh, around the soccer world, including some from Minnesota United. Are you ready for these? Yes, let's go for it. Ready. Right, first one to Cal. Um, so many probably don't know this, but Robin Lurd actually leads Minnesota with five goals uh, in all competitions this year. And I know we've talked about this before, Cal, but why does he still get so much criticism? I think at the moment, so the, uh, the answer to this, Morgan, is I don't know why he can, can, continues to get as much criticism as he does. My thought about it is he came in with um, a hefty wage, I think a, a lot of people were perhaps um, told something that wasn't necessarily true in the sense that they were perhaps sold a player that, that wasn't there. I think he came in with a decent reputation in European football, no doubt about it. But I think a lot of people expected him to come and be, you know, something like Emmanuel Reynoso and somebody who's going to go and score uh, 15, 20 goals. And look, even Adrian Heath has come out and said in the past that, he should really, with the ability he has, be doing a 10 and 10 season, 10 and 10 goals and 10 assists. Um, I just don't think at the moment that Robin Lurd has been as consistent as perhaps people would have wanted. And I say people because I'm including the coaching staff as well. There's no doubt that he's got ability. We've been very fortunate, perhaps not recently, but we usually see this team in training quite regularly. And how many times have we marveled at some of the crossing ability and some of the shots from range and some of the little intricate play in between the lines and stuff, you know? And honestly, I think he came into Minnesota, as we've said in the past, Morgan, where there were a lot of issues for him personally in the sense that he, his wife had just had a baby. Believe me, I can tell you from experience, it's not easy moving across the Atlantic either and having to settle in. Especially I was going to say, Cal, do you have a baby that we don't know about? <laughs> I didn't know where you were going with that. <laughs> no, we did not. Um, <laughs> but it's just difficult to, to move across the Atlantic. And I know, you know, it's not really an excuse because there's so many that do it. Um, but I think the, the added complication of having a child as well and, and, and getting settled and everything, it didn't help at first. And I just think he's, um, you know, he, he's been lacking in confidence for, for a long time recently. Um, the stuff that's been said probably doesn't help. Um, but I would encourage any player not to even read anything. If, if he is reading stuff, I don't know why. I don't know why, because it's never a good thing to do. But also, Morgan, in my opinion, and it seems to be a lot of other people's opinions now, especially after what we saw over the last couple of weeks, Robin Lurd's best position is probably on the right-hand side, cutting in on that left foot, which is what he did several times when he, when he arguably played his best football at Panathinaikos in Greece. So, especially with the way that Minnesota operate in terms of allowing the fullbacks to overlap. It wouldn't surprise me moving forward if we do see Robin Lurd on that right-hand side a lot more. And Kindra made this point as well in the past about it, it perhaps gets a little congested in the centre of midfield 
because of the inverted wingers cutting in. I agree with that. But I actually think as well, it, it, it does pose a problem for opposition players because if you're a wide player like a Robin Lord, whose starting position is essentially he touches um, the, the line on the right-hand side, he touches the, the touch line and he gets some chalk on the boots, but he, he cuts in so aggressively. And usually that means the fullback will follow suit, leaving a whole host of space for the fullback, Roma Metinier, usually. So I think now moving forward, especially after the two goals against RSL, we may very well see the best version we've ever seen of Robin Lurd. And one other thing I was just going to say, you have to wonder if he took some heat early on because, you know, he, he was essentially sort of replacing someone named Miguel Ibarra. Right. And that for a fan base perspective, when Robin wasn't producing goals and assists right off the get-go and getting on the stat sheet consistently, that I think rubs this Minnesota United fan base the wrong way. And that, that's just my opinion. I mean, Miguel was beloved here. We understand that. But from a quality player perspective, Robin, I think, is, you know, well above and, and beyond Miguel. But I think early on, that's just the initial reaction is, you know, it's like, well, you brought this guy in, but he's replacing our blood, Miguel Ibarra. How, how come, how is this working? That's, that's sort of my opinion on it as well, aside from all the qualities of the actual player that Cal just listed. Sure. So we have four minutes before we got to go to break. We have four more questions. So even in my <laughs> producing, so you have 30 seconds uh, to answer this next question, which is to Kendra. Uh, Adrian Heath told us in the post-game interview, um, Robin Lurd is a Minnesota United player, despite what some of the critics think. What does it do for a player standpoint um, when your coach sticks up for you like that? Well, first of all, I think the, the biggest thing here is Robin could never had to question his support from his coaching staff and his teammates. Adrian, he told us last week, you ask any single one of those guys in that locker room to pick their 11 on the team. And every single one of them would include Robin Lord. They see him every day at training. They see what he's available, ability to do on Monday through Friday. But yes, when you then hear your coach go publicly out in front and make such a very strong statement, he did it on our postgame show. And I believe he did it in the media availability after as well, because the critics have been harsh. And I think that that has got to lift your spirits. It's got to feel good as any player knowing that your coach has your back, not just in the locker room, but out in front publicly as well. So, you know, I just, I just was really happy for Robin. I know it's been tough. It's been tough coming over here. As Cal said, his wife having a baby he came over last August, trying to find his groove. Then this weird 2020 season, um, you know, so I, I, all good things for Robin. Happy to get such amazing quality finishes from him in that match. And you could see by the smile on his face. Uh, next one's to Cal. We talked about him a little bit. Uh, Kevin Molino looks rejuvenated playing alongside Reynoso. What do you expect to see out of these two uh, moving forward the rest of the year? I expect much more. I think Molino, unsurprisingly, um, moved over to, to the left-hand side. Although it was, it was, it was quite intriguing to see. When Minnesota broke forward, it was almost as if they were playing two number 10s underneath the centre forward. And, and um, it was quite interesting to see. So I, I think what, what I expect, Morgan, is, is a myriad of problems for the opposition moving forward. Because we all know what Molino's abilities are, as Kendra D. St. Alban quite rightly pointed out earlier on in the podcast. I think if you add another creative player like they have alongside him, I think Minnesota have, have just equipped themselves with um, perhaps one of the best attacking lines behind a centre-forward that you can see in Major League Soccer. So I expect them both to combine. I expect them both to play off of each other. And I expect a lot of success for Minnesota United. Two minutes before we got to go to break here, Kendra. Uh, question for you. We saw LA Galaxy get the better at LAFC uh, a couple of weeks ago, and they just did it again. Carlos Vela obviously is out, and that is a big miss for LAFC. Uh, but what is wrong with Bob Bradley's side? Well, first of all, their back line is atrocious. Their goalkeeping has struggled. And as we've talked about probably more times in 2020 than any other season, the importance of a solid defense and more importantly, center backs. So I think LAFC, they just think that goals are just going to come naturally. I mean, you look at their attacking pieces minus Carlos Vela. I mean, they did it the entire Orlando tournament with Diego Rossi, with Rodriguez. I mean, they've 
so much quality. I, now, Atuesta is also missing right now, which I do think is a big piece for them centrally. So we can't, you know, go without talking about him. But you still had Mark Anthony Kay, even though he got a red card in this last game for a very silly foul. But I think in general, it's the defense. It comes down to the defense. And I'm not blaming it on them, but that is clearly the weak spot for this team. Other teams have started to create a, a little bit of a roadmap map of how a blueprint of how to play against this LAFC side, and they're finishing their chances. And to be fair, LA Galaxy the last few games, they've looked really good. They are starting to get their you-know-what together, and the attacking pieces that are coming to fruition, some of these young guys that they're starting to play and take advantage of and, and actually use some of their LA Galaxy 2 guys that have come through. So, um, you know... Good for LA Galaxy to maybe right the ship a little bit. And it's, you know, I don't mind seeing Bob Bradley and his side suffer a little bit. I don't mind seeing them struggle a little bit. You know, they've been on cloud nine since they stepped in the league. We have about 30 seconds for each of you to answer this last question. Uh, we just signed a big Argentine and Emmanuel Reynoso. There's another Argentine in the news, guys. Lionel Messi has decided to stay at Barcelona. What does that mean potentially for his future? but also uh, in the future of him potentially coming to MLS, as was reported, if he would have signed with Man City. I don't think it changes much, Morgan. It just pushes everything back a year. Because if you think about it, the City Football Group are willing to offer him a five-year contract, which in my mind means they're comfortable with what you would consider an ageing Lionel Messi. They're comfortable with a 37-year-old playing uh, and representing that particular uh, business. So I think it just pushes everything back. Manchester City... We'll still have him in the Premier League, and I fully expect him to be in Major League Soccer at some stage with New York City FC. I agree. I don't think it changes the prospects of him going to Man City eventually and coming to MLS as well. Um, I think it's a bummer that he has to stay. I understand he's, you know doesn't want to sue his club. You would think they would just let him go when someone really doesn't want to be there that badly. But you know he means too much to that team, to that brand, and to the entire league. Um, so, you know, they're going to hang on to him. It's kind of like having a lame duck coach, you know, somebody in the last year of the contract who doesn't necessarily want to be there, but we'll see how it plays out. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Morgan, why don't you toss us to break? Let's let's roll reverse, shall we? Go on, get out in 10. Nine. <laughs> for takeovers, no joke all of a sudden, huh? All right, here's my best Cal Williams impression. Uh, stay with us. Much more to come on our match preview podcast uh, as we look at FC Dallas next. While team sports may be sidelined right now, team spirit is going strong. Alina Health and Minnesota United have teamed up to support the frontline caregivers at Alina Health. Learn how you can help by visiting alinahealth.org forward slash caring for caregivers. Hello there and welcome back to our match preview podcast. Callum Williams alongside Kindra D. St. Alvin. Let's talk about the weird and wild world of Major League Soccer, shall we? Lots going on with a lot of catching up to do after the season, of course, was brought to a halt back in March. Games coming thick and fast, but also with just under two months of the transfer window remaining, Kendra. Lots of movement as well. Um, players going uh, out of the league, players coming into the league. Let's start at Atlanta United, shall we? Um, it was reported a couple of days ago that the former South American Footballer of the Year, Pity Martinez, was set to move away from Atlanta United in, I think, what could best be described as a shock move. That move has now been confirmed. He's gone to Al Nasser in Saudi Arabia. I think it's more the destination that has perhaps become the eyebrow raiser more than anything, is it not, Kendra? Well, and I think um, you and I talked about this in the just before the game started the other night, and we were both like, it just seems like a weird path. You know, you go from, I believe it was River Plate to... Uh, MLS and then to Saudi Arabia and what we what we've come to see or think like within Al Marone and some others is that you go from these other clubs you come to MLS and then you go to Premier League you go to Europe somewhere and play instead yeah the move to Saudi Arabia maybe not exactly what he had in mind um, but the other piece to me it just seems like odd timing and um you just wonder, they just were about to make a coaching change. They, well, they got rid of Frank DeBoer, but they haven't hired an, a new full-time coach yet. But you just felt like maybe they were sort of starting to find their groove once again with some of the pieces to the puzzle. And this move seems a little bit odd to me. I think a lot of people were shocked by it. Now they're making a profit. Um, but you yourself thought that had they held on to him and maybe he actually performed for a year because he hasn't had a great year and a half, um, that they could have maybe gotten more for him. Do you still believe that? Or do you think the $18 million 
reported is is accurate is is good well it would have been a risk wouldn't it no doubt and i wonder if atlanta have just thought thought to themselves right well we'll just take this because it's it's clearly a profit anyway so we'll, we'll take it but yeah i was quite surprised because I, I thought yes he had a rough first year in major league soccer compared to what perhaps the expectations were um and the the price tag um given you know the <laughs> the whole situation around it as well I, I think there was there was some huge expectations which i don't think are unfair because of the price tag but i i originally thought to myself that it would be as you quite rightly said a comparison to miguel almiron and and he would have ended up going Elsewhere in Europe, I believe that was the player's plan at some stage, was to go and play in Europe anyway. Um, but I just wonder if, if perhaps Atlanta would have waited another year or so and, and given him a chance to, to perhaps make more of an impression on, on the world. I, I wonder if they could have gotten a bit more money. Having said that, <laughs> the counter-argument is, is if he doesn't do that, then you may very well make a loss on the player if you are going to sell. But I also think... At some stage, they probably could have sold him back to someone like a River Plate um, if it didn't work out. Now, I'm, I'm not suggesting that they would have recouped the 14 million or whatever it was that they signed him for, because the um, that the money and, and the currency down in Argentina isn't exactly strong at the moment, um, and I don't foresee that being the case. For I don't I don't see that the um, you know the amount of uh, money um, in Argentina growing any anytime soon, but. Um, I just think it's a strange one. I, I really do. There was such a hype about this individual. Uh, a lot of people said he, he is the Miguel Almiron replacement, and it just didn't seem to work for Atlanta United. Um, so I can understand them jumping ship right now, um, but but I personally think they uh, they probably should have held on for a little bit, but I understand why they sold now. Um, let's stay in the Eastern Conference, shall we, Kendra? We spoke about it on the Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Minnesota pregame show on our television broadcast, albeit briefly, um, New York Red Bulls getting rid of Chris Armas. Um, I think a little premature, in my opinion, um, and I'm not entirely convinced that they know exactly where they're going to go next. They don't seem... From everything I'm hearing, you might be hearing different. It, it, it doesn't seem as though they they got rid of Chris Armas with, with a plan in mind. Well, and exactly. And, you know, I think that um, I was shocked that they made this decision at this moment prematurely, like you said. And also in just this weird 2020 of a season where... I don't know how you can make a clear decision. And it wasn't like he just got there. I mean, he was the assistant coach when Jesse March was there, but rightfully so, they named him the head coach. Um, I think he'd been there full-time or as the head coach since 2018. They still had a winning record underneath him, but I think they had lost some of their identity. They had lost some of their sort of philosophy, their style that people were accustomed to seeing. They have this fantastic academy. I'm not sure if they were maybe utilizing it and, and some of the signings coming in weren't quite gelling and, and meshing the way um, people expected them to. But to me, the bigger piece of this is, is that the decision was made by a gentleman who just came to the United States, Thelwell, in January, I believe, is when he came over with his family. So you have a guy coming in as sort of a sporting um, director, what is his t actual title? Is that basically it? He's the sporting... He's the technical director, yes. So the technical director, who has come in from nowhere, has no connection, as far as I know, with this club, with what's been going on, with the success that the Red Bulls had in the past, and now what Chris Armas is doing. He has no relationship with Chris Armas, and comes in, and they make this hire, and that's one of the first decisions he makes um, after being here a handful of months in a weird 2020 season where they've only played, what, eight, nine, ten, you know, games on, on the schedule. So that to me was odd because they don't seem like they have a plan. And if they didn't have an identity, if they seem discombobulated before, I think they're going to – it might take a while to write this ship. I don't think they have a plan. I think Kevin Thelwell has an idea of the type of coach that he would like. I think he's an Englishman who has come over from Wolverhampton Wanderers in the Premier League. Um, but he's come over, I think, with his own ideas, unfortunately, for Chris Armas. Here's an interesting thought, Kendra, and I'm sure it'll spark debates. Kevin Thelwell suggested that Chris Armas was fired because 
of the style of play. It didn't represent what Red Bull stood for. It didn't represent what, what Kevin Thelwell wanted the Red Bulls to, to look like. Now, they've gone four games without a win. I thought in those four games, out of all of them, they looked the worst in the last game against Philadelphia Union when obviously Chris Armas um, wasn't the head coach. Can you fire somebody for not playing a certain style, even if they're winning? I don't think so. I mean, I, I, that's, that kind of goes back to the conundrum to me is who is this guy? And I don't know Kevin Thelwell. I don't know his success or his failures. I mean, you were talking a little bit about his career when you and I were talking about this in the pregame show the other day or prior to being on the air. But it seems a little strange for a guy to come in and question the Red Bulls philosophy, the Red Bulls style after what, maybe watching them for a little bit of time coming over in January and saying that what Chris Armas is doing does not fit what Red Bulls should be doing. Whereas to me, it's more like, does it just not fit what you want them to do? And they, and I think when a team is winning, you can't question what they're doing to get the wins. Now they've not had success in 2020. I think people would agree that they should be better than what they're looking right now in 2020. But I also agree with you that they absolutely, absolutely got trounced by Philadelphia, who's essentially an Eastern Conference rival for them outside of NYCFC in proximity. And they didn't look anything, anything motivated by the firing of their head coach. Because sometimes you see that. Sometimes you see a spark. You see an energy when a change is made in a coaching change, Frank DeBoer, for example, the next game after that change, it looked like there was a little bit of life to Atlanta United, but this did not. And I, I just think it's interesting for Thelwell to make those strong of statements about Red Bulls as an entire club and a history in the short amount of time that he's been with them. And um, I'm not saying that Chris Armas may not have been, a change may have been made down the road. It just right. seems weird timing to me and weird reasoning, and I'm sure even the, the team, unless there's something, again, going on in the locker room that we don't know about, maybe the players. I mean, who knows? There's all sorts of things that we are not privy to, and it's hard to say. Same with the Pity Martinez. Maybe there's something going on that we don't know about, and that that's part of the reason why these decisions are made when they're made. Yeah, we have to stress, obviously, we're viewing all of these uh, discussions from an outsider's point of view, of course, and, and, and I think, Kendra, you and I have been fortunate over the last couple of years um, to be inside our football club and really see that things uh, sometimes um, things are not what they the seem. They aren't what they seem. Things happen behind the scenes, and, and that is just the way that this sport works. That's the way that most sports work, I'm assuming. Um, let me uh, throw this to you. In, in terms of you, you mentioned the, the strange timing for Chris Armas being fired, I think it's perfect timing for Kevin Thelwell because. Right now, just about, it's still technically the off-season in Europe where there's a lot of individuals that are available. So I think this has been, and again, I'm talking from an outsider's point of view, this is me purely speculating in my opinion and my opinion only. But I think Kevin Thalwell has come in as an Englishman with an idea of, of what he wants Red Bull to be, with an idea of what he thinks Major League Soccer is, with an idea of the type of coach that he wants his side to have. I think that coach is a European, which doesn't necessarily guarantee you results we've seen in the past. Um, I think this has probably been on his mindset for a while. I think he wants to make it his New York Red Bull. Um, I'm not necessarily saying that's the best way to go about things, but I, when I saw that, that Chris Armas had been let go, I thought to myself... It, straight away, the, the instant reaction was, oh, wow, that's that's quite shocking, that is. But the more you think about it, I'm actually not too surprised at all just because of, of the way things are at New York Red Bulls and the globalisation. But you have to ask yourself as well, Kendra, what, what, do the, what do Red Bull themselves, what do they want from this franchise in New York? Because it's not like, you know, with the other franchises around the world, you see them swapping players here and there and whatnot. You know, it, it's not like it's, it's been a, a, a regularity. Yes, I know Tete has come in from Salzburg um, to, to Red Bull New York. But prior to that, um, the only other, only other incidents I can think of of a connection of any sort was Tyler Adams going to, to Rasenburg Leipzig. That's the only one I can, I can think of. 
I do wonder what Red Bull want from, from New York Red Bulls long term, because it doesn't seem as though there's been much connection at all. Yeah, that is a good point, because you would think you would take advantage of those relationships and those partnerships and that connection. I mean, that is part of the reason I would assume why you have them. You know, I mean, the same thing has been discussed, I believe, is it it in Colorado? Um, We're the owner for Colorado, I mean, not Avalanche, Colorado Rapids also owns Arsenal. Arsenal. So, you know, and, and people talk about how there is no crossover, not even just to have them come for a friendly and use your your facilities. So same thing with NYCFC, and we see what they have done a, quite a few times and in a handful of occasions with Man City. So you would think that Red Bulls would take advantage of that opportunity. And we heard some rumors before Jesse Marsh, I believe, went over and coached over there that he had gone there at times in the summer in different windows to learn from them, to watch them coach, to watch their systems and, and how they did things and trying to share information. But we don't see a lot of sharing of players. And you would think that that would be a, a more regular occurrence. And um, I'm just surprised that that isn't taken advantage of. But you do bring up a great point. As you were talking about Thelwell, I think the reason that he did it when he did is because Red Bulls were on this skid. And if for some reason, Chris Armas had all of a sudden turned this around and they started winning, it'd be real hard for him then to fire that coach at that time. So he had come over here in January thinking, knowing full well, he was going to fire Chris Armas. And then he was going to bring in his own guy and make this thing his own. And the fact that the Red Bulls had struggled and Chris Armas had struggled gave him the perfect opportunity to let him go without a lot of pushback. And now that you think about it that way, it makes absolutely perfect sense. He, he had that in mind. There was no, there was no wishy-washy, hey, let's see how this thing goes. I'm going to give this guy a chance. He had, came in with a preconceived notion, and the fact that they were losing you know, allowed him that opportunity to get rid of him. Yeah, absolutely. I think this has been the plan um, for a long, long time at Red Bull Arena. So we'll see how that goes, I guess. And, um, you know, obviously they didn't make a great start of things in life after Chris Armas with a 3-0 home loss to Philadelphia Union, of all people. Before we do preview the next Minnesota United match, Kendra, um, there were some other results that I thought were really intriguing over the course of uh, the last couple of days in Major League Soccer. Uh, a big win for Vancouver Whitecaps over Toronto FC. I don't think I, off the top of my head, I can't think of a franchise that needed a victory like that more than Vancouver Whitecaps did, and particularly Mark Dos Santos as well, because, look, uh, to my knowledge, the Whitecaps and the, the board and the people in charge are happy with the job that's, that's being done. But with the amount of money that has been spent, I don't think you can say the Whitecaps have improved humongously compared to what they were last season. So you then have to start asking yourself, and again, I'm hearing that you know the Whitecaps aren't going to spend as much money as was originally uh, insinuated to Marco Santos because they've still got a load of money from the Alfonso Davies sale. Um, I, I just wonder at what point do the, the people in charge at the YCAP say to Marco Santos, actually, we don't trust you with this money anymore um, because that happened with Carl Robinson and his staff previously. And look what happened there. I'm not suggesting anything. I'm not suggesting Marco Santos is on the verge of getting, getting fired or anything. But my point is here is that Vancouver Whitecaps got what I perhaps consider to be a season-defining result against Toronto FC. And maybe now we start to see a more comfortable and more uh, expansive Vancouver Whitecaps to the, to the one that we've seen over the course of the last few, few months. You know, I think the Whitecaps are one of those teams that you have a really hard time putting your finger on. Exactly. Um, because they do seem completely discombobulated. There's times where I feel for Mark Dos Santos and watching him and his some of his frustrations and, and situations he's been put in as a, as a coach. But then there's some times where you look at it and go, well, dude, you kind of created a lot of this craziness, you know, and this um, confusion and this lack of cohesion in the lineup. And how many times have we talked about in the game of soccer that you cannot just go out and spend the most money on certain players. They still have to be able to play together. And we see it all the time with national teams, and obviously you're not spending money there. But with national teams, you can't necessarily just take the best 11 or 20 guys that are in a country and throw them on the pitch together. It just does not work. You have to have players that complement each other, that fit your system, that fit your style. And too often, I think we've seen that with the Vancouver Whitecaps, and particularly under Dos Santos. 
hey, let's get a, a Lucas Cavallini. Let's pull Imbam Wong. Let's get, you know, this guy, that guy. Um, let's bring back Freddie Montero and see how they all work together. And it doesn't necessarily happen. Now, again, it's been a weird 2020. They signed some of these players like a Cavallini. Then those guys, they're tacking pieces. Don't go to Orlando at the last minute. They don't join them in the MLS's back tournament. I mean, they had four or five guys that were missing, mostly attacking pieces. And then they come back and they have to throw themselves into this rest of the regular season. And it's only against Canadian teams, but this was a massive win for them. Toronto FC has basically walked all over them and, and been the tail of the town as far as Canada is concerned from a soccer perspective in MLS. And they, and they had really nice goals. These were good goals from Vancouver. These weren't luck goals. These were good goals. Their goalkeeper Hassal Standing on his head once again, I, I'm excited about him. I think he's been fun to watch. But, again, can you do it two games in a row? Can you do it three games in a row? Even if they lose the next match, two to one or one nothing, but you look cohesive and you show some bright spots, can they do it consistently? Is this not just a one-off that you get up because you're playing Toronto FC? So that's going to be my my thing. And you know what? The other thing is, too, is sometimes don't the higher-ups at the club have to maybe start looking at themselves. If you had a, a pattern with Carl Robinson, if you had a pattern with Mark Dos Santos, you're having the same issues in your mind that they don't know how to spend the money correctly. Is it necessarily just the coaching staff, or is there something else that needs to be changed and, and moved around sometimes? But, you know, it's – it's too bad because I do think there's a passionate fan base there and they are craving some good soccer in that city consistently. Yeah, absolutely. A, a good Vancouver Whitecaps, I think, would be good for Major League Soccer, in my opinion. But that's another debate for another day. OK, let's move on, shall we? Minnesota United up against FC Dallas uh, on Wednesday evening. We're recording this on Tuesday morning. Um, what did you make of them against Sporting Kansas City? They land up in a 4-3-3, again, with plenty of possibilities Obviously, without Fafa Pico, because of what we're led to believe was a, a tweak of a muscle of some sort, perhaps his hamstring or so, which we saw against Minnesota. Um, are they as expansive on the road as they are when they're at home um, in, in Frisco, Texas, I wonder? Barry Olsen and Ferreira started either side of uh, Frank O'Hara, who got his first goal in Major League Soccer against Kansas City over the at the last game. Um, they'll come into this game, Kendra, having not played as many games as Minnesota. Um, you know, obviously they had the game uh, delayed several weeks ago because of the, the protests from the players. Um, they've had a little bit of a break coming into this one. What do we expect from FC Dallas? Well, I don't think they're nearly as good on the road as at home. Um, and I think that the weather in Dallas clearly plays in their favor, and that's why they've had such, you know, a huge amount of success in Dallas. Um, I mean, not to mention that they haven't had some good rosters even under um, Oscar Pereja in the past, clearly. But I think that it seemed like in the Minnesota United game, which Minnesota did not play well, didn't show up, and everybody would admit that full stop, no, no hesitation. But there were some bright spots from this FC Dallas side where you felt like maybe they were starting to connect. A lot of things that you heard pundits and analysts and even talking to the FC Dallas television analysts saying that they were missing on that there were disconnections that the runs off the ball weren't there they were too stagnant in the middle of the pitch Luchi Gonzalez saying they need to be more aggressive in the final third more um, attack minded and more creativity um, and against Minnesota United you saw that from the first kick you saw right away that they were coming out full stop connecting passes in that final third. A huge piece of that was Fafa Pico. His pace on the outside, he's a tiny little guy, but he can just, has acceleration, he can cut inside, he can just make you second guess what you're doing defensively. One of the first times I think we've ever seen Roma Metzener get his feet maybe a little tangled up. As he's spinning around and trying to chase someone, just getting a little bit tangled up, getting beat by a step, that just does not happen from Roman Metzener. A hesitation to step to the ball because you you respect Fafa Pico's speed and ability. And I think that what we're seeing from Dallas now is maybe a Frank O'Hara who looked a little bit old and a little slow to me in the first few matches of the season that he's played, not just against Minnesota United, finding his groove as the number nine. We all know it's going to take time. I mean, I think so many clubs and so many people expect these signings, especially if they're big, highly touted signings, to just step on the pitch the first day 
and have this insane amount of impact. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But when you're a number nine and you're trying to figure out how to combine with your teammates underneath you, I think it's much more difficult than a number 10 signing who is more dictating the play in front of them. So we've seen it, Luis Almaria trying to find his groove with the players. Frank O'Hara finding his groove with the players. But Barrios is always good. You know, he's not had a great season. He created that penalty against Minnesota United. He looks a little bit older and a little bit slower, but he's still kind of crafty and cheeky and maybe cuts inside a little bit more than getting to the end line. They've lost Paxton Pomacall for the season, which is massive in my opinion, but they've also had to play so much without him that they've had to figure that out. They've got all these young guys in Cervania, Ferreira, these homegrowns. They found a way to make that back line solid. Ziegler, Hedges, and Hollingshead, you can't get a much better back three of your back four as far as who has played consistently together. And they've been able to keep the ball out of the back of the net. So even while their team wasn't scoring, their defense was picking them up. And then they've thrown Nelson a lot on the left-hand side, and he did okay um, in the matches that he's played. So I, I do think that, you know, they've got some depth, they've got some quality, and but they're clearly not as good on the road. Um, and Minnesota, I would hope, has a very big point to prove because they absolutely got trounced in Dallas a week or two ago. I don't know when it was. It is all a blur. Um, so we'll see. And can Minnesota put back-to-back games together, performances? I'm looking for that from this club, too. And it, I want to see that kind of Minnesota United again because that was a fun game to call. Yeah, I was going to say, we've done it again, Kay, and we've run out of time because we've been talking too much football. But um, <laughs> let me ask you this before we head out. What do we expect from Minnesota United? Perhaps a few changes, or will Adrian Heath settle with that squad that we saw? Oh, I think he will absolutely stick with that squad, assuming that everybody is healthy. We don't know the situation with Luis Amaria. We don't know the situation with Ethan Finley. But I don't think you can change that front four. Mason Toy finding his group. You got the three sitting underneath who all had a fantastic game. Defensively, I would assume Ozzy Alonso is out, but I have no idea. But it's a short turnaround. Hassani, I thought, did really well in that role. Jan, you know, had some bright spots in there. The back four is the back four. I, I wouldn't change a thing. That's that's what I would go with. And and when they win, they don't Adrian doesn't usually anyways, unless there's a, a crazy addition from uh, someone coming off an injury. Yeah, we'll wait and see, shall we? You can join us for full match coverage of Minnesota United against FC Dallas. Really intriguing game for the Loons coming up at Allianz Field. You can join us on Wednesday evening, 6.30pm, Fox Sports North. Looking forward to your company as Minnesota United look for their second straight win. We'll see you then.